and welcome to Your Active's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Your Active's Agri-Food News team. So welcome back. We often speak about uh, what happened in the week. That's our job, uh, <laughs> you know, to bring you the latest from the EU Agri-Food world. Uh, but we also speak about what's cooking over there, let's say, what's in mm. the pot. What's on the menu. What's on the menu. And <laughs> this was the title of uh, one of our special uh, episodes of uh, of the podcast. It uh, was. So. Fond memories, fond memories. Yeah, yeah. So what is cooking? That's what we're going to do this week, indeed. We'll be talking about something that is uh, scheduled for next week, mm-hmm. actually. With this commission and in pandemic period, anything could happen in terms of uh, the scheduling of the legislative proposals from the commission. And also we were talking about something that was delayed quite a lot. A lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when was it supposed to first come out? I can't even remember now. It's been such a long time. I feel like I've been talking about this for a long time. It'd be the, the, the third or the fourth quarter of 2020, <laughs> if I'm not wrong. I think you might be right. Well, I'm on tenterhooks. We haven't actually said what's coming. It's, really, it's such a tease. Probably some of our listeners are, are already got what we're talking about. We're talking about the organic action plan to help mm-hmm. member states stimulating supply and demand for, for organic products. Mm. But maybe Tash could tell us a bit more about this. Uh, well... I mean, organic has been something, you know, really high on the agenda. We've all been talking about organic farming for a long time now, pretty much since uh, since the Farm to Fork strategy, which outlined this kind of target um, of 25% of agricultural land in the EU being farmed organically by 2030. So that's a threefold increase of where we're at right now, because... To put it in context, um, although Europe has, you know, some of the largest shares of organic agriculture in the world, um, it's only around about 8% of the total of the EU agricultural land that is farmed um, organically. Well, that's exactly what the EU Organic Action Plan aims to do. So we've already said that it's long overdue and it's set now finally to be released next week. So it's been eagerly awaited, everyone asking the same question okay, we want to increase organic, but where's the demand for organic? How do we how do we increase this? How do we support this? How does this happen kind of uh, in practice? So we've actually had a, a little sneak peek of a draft version. Obviously, it's a draft, so, you know. One of the drafts, actually. One of the drafts, a fairly recent draft. No, no, there are, there are many drafts circulating. We don't expect many changes mm. uh, because, I mean, it's it's not something that you can really change overnight no yeah okay there are some outstanding issues but not huge controversial points at this stage because i, I i'm sure that some of this uh, initiative could uh, could actually uh, create a ruckus particularly in uh, in the meps yeah i mean this draft kind of outlines this you know this three-pronged plan of plan of attack plan of action um which uh, you know spans increasing demand so increasing demand from the consumer side as well as increasing production and also improving the contribution of organic farming um to sustainability um so the commission is aiming to provide the kind of the necessary tools both legal and non-legal to create these conditions that will support organic uh, agriculture in the eu so i think kind of one of the most 
interesting elements. And the plan is, as I said, pretty wide, this kind of three, three-pronged attack. Um, there's a lot of different points that were interesting that we looked at in the draft. But I think the biggest question that everyone's been asking is this question of how do we increase consumer demand, you know, demand on the consumer side for organic. There's not a market for organic. It doesn't matter how much you're producing if you can't sell it. Um, you know, and there has to be a convincing kind of strategy to, pr- to provide for farmers because I, I think, you know, it's important to to point out that, you know, obviously farmers can't just overnight decide to be organic. It's something that is part of a really long-term strategy, might change completely the way that they they do their practice. You know, it's, it's an enormous investment. Um, and, you know, there needs to be some certainty for farmers that there's going to be a market for their, for their produce. Um, so the plan outlines bunch of ways that they're trying that the, the commission puts forward to the, try and increase and stimulate this demand it ranges from things like promoting the eu logo um which is you know the organic logo that's already in use um doing kind of like awareness campaigns and things like that but i, I kind of think one of the most interesting points in the draft is this idea of including organic in green public procurements to simulate a kind of a greater uptake of, of organics in public canteens and in public procurement. So green public procurement is this idea that Europe's public authorities are major consumers and they can use their purchasing power to choose uh, environmentally friendly goods and services and that way make this kind of contribution to sustainable consumption and production. Um, so as I said, it's in things like in canteens, you know, uh, really prioritizing and promoting organic produce in public canteens and so and it points out in the draft actually that for example Copenhagen um, is put forward as this example it was the first city that reached 100% organic public canteens um, and this was supported by this kind of organic farmland that was surrounding the city and Vienna as well um, has a kind of network of organic urban gardens that supplies public canteens um, it also touches upon um, how to basically prioritizing organic produce in schools. So the EU runs this kind of the school scheme, which um, supports the distribution of food, of milk, of vegetables and fruit to millions of millions of children throughout the EU of all age ranges. And the draft talks about how member states should prioritize the distribution of organic fruit, vegetable and milk products in the EU school scheme. In fact, it even says the schools that um, are kind of lagging behind have the lowest level of um, organic. They're, they're looking at the commissions trying to urge them to double their share of organic and for others also to increase it. And I think this is interesting. I mean, it's all very well and good. I mean, but then the, the draft kind of it outlines this and then it comes to this one sentence that for me is a bit of a stickler and I think it's the sentence that, you know the issue that's the crux of the issue that you know it always comes up it then says however several countries currently do not prioritize organic products for the school scheme um, and for public procurement because they're often more expensive than non-organic and there doesn't really seem to be much kind of comment on that or anything further to explain how the commission is going to address this other than you know, it's going to raise awareness about the importance of organic and do this kind of communication about why organic's important, but seems to be, for me, somewhat lacking also in, in the question of, okay, well, if it's more expensive than non-organic, how practically are schools going to invest in having more organic produce? You know, they're going to have more funding. But no, so there's still some questions there for me. It's a, a specific issue that you're touching, which is basically um similar to the general one which is basically 
um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about boosting consumption, so uh, incentivize consumption. And and again, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's like not creating a market, but really to, um, you know, doing something that has an effect on the side of the demand, uh, which is... Uh, quite ambitious for the commission i mean it's okay we are in the, in the single market and okay but it's it's even difficult for member states i mean for for, for government uh, sometimes to have this kind of uh, impact yeah stimulus hmm. i mean okay we're not talking about uh, buying uh, bonds or uh, or uh, other other commodities or whatever but yes i mean we're talking about influencing a market which is something i mean it, you know the commission tried to do all the time even in the energy legislation but uh yeah when it comes to uh, certain aspect like supply price of of these products mm-hmm. and and also i mean it's you know we always say ah the lack of impact assessment on everything basically but uh you know it's still not clear at which level the 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 organic market is at the moment so mm-hmm. it's something promising of course yeah definitely and also as i was saying about how this translates into long-term demand because i think i think things like public procurement policies you know can come and go and can fluctuate depending on the kind of political willingness behind it. But obviously, as I said, this is a long-term investment for farmers. It's 10 years, but also the plan is 2030 plan. No, So it's uh, the mm. long-term aspect is it's quite important. I'm just running through the main initiative. There are like 22. This is the draft again. Uh, there are 22 initiatives. I, I don't see legislative ones like regulation on, or directive. So I don't see, you know, hard law, a lot of soft law. Yeah, a promotion policy, which is something uh, that will create some uh, some problems. There is some interesting kind of references to the to the common agricultural policy, though, right? Yeah, yeah. It's basically uh, member states are invited to set national values. So basically, data, a target in their CAP strategic plan uh, for uh, these Green Deal targets, which is basically the organic one, the 25% organic area uh, by 2030, and increasing the percentage or encouraging positive trends. Let's uh, be very rude. Uh, let's imagine the Commission asking member states to apply to implement uh, these organic requirements, and the member states could say, oh, what's legal basis? And they say uh, the organic plan and they, the, the organic actual plan and the member states say, yeah, but I mean, we're talking about common agricultural policy. Common agricultural policy is hard law, is, is uh, you know, three regulations and so on. Organic action plan is a um, political declaration. So it's, it's, it's an ambition of the commission. So the, the, there's uh, in the hierarchy of, uh, of sources, um, you know, this, this is a controversial part and I'm sure that MEPs, but even uh, ministers will, will uh, attack this, this aspect if it's going to stay. Yeah? Because, I mean, again, we're talking about uh, a draft. It's also true that we're talking about the recommendation that the, from the commission to put in the national strategic plans of the agricultural policy uh, to, to ask the member states to implement these uh, um, goals in the national strategic plans. Uh, so uh, even in this case, we're talking about more 
political commitments, even from the the side of the member state. So it's quite interesting. Yes, it's true. I also will mention what you previously consider things like that. No, I'm joking. Uh, but even this uh, promoting the EU logo is not is not uh, because I mean it's uh, it's also. Uh, useful uh, in terms of um, tackling uh, counterfeit mm-hmm. when it comes to organic mm-hmm. products is is a quite Definitely. bad phenomena, particularly if you want build to build the market with consumers. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed, and, and I mean the newspapers uh, uh, report quite a lot cases of uh, organic products that weren't organic and they were uh, sold mm. as organic. Uh, and this, of course, affects even the aspect like the subsidies that you receive to farm organically. So this mm-hmm. is also interesting. It really undermines farmers as well that are making this effort to, you know, produce indeed, more sustainably, indeed. not use chemicals. It's very, very damaging kind of both ways for consumers and, and for these farmers that are farming organically. Um, so it's an important point. And I also see a lot of um, innovation, which is something that probably was overlooked uh, so far, because again, when it comes to the recent organic regulation that has to come into force because it was postponed, uh, the entry into force, it was, uh, it, it became law in 2018, but the entry into force was postponed by one year. So it's going to start in 2022, the new framework, the new EU framework for marketing organic products. Um, and, and there's a lot of um, focus on uh, the use of new technologies and all this kind of uh, innovation stuff. Um, there's also this, uh, you know, develop a database of certificates of all European producers and also, of course, blockchain and all this <laughs> fancy technology that are always there when, when it's about the commission. Uh, there's also the um, call to create this uh, specific organic producer organizations, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, in order to give them a greater market power, uh, particularly when it comes to, to the unfair trade practices. It's like the trade union, no? So it's, uh, if you have a, a strong uh, producer organization, your uh, leverage in negotiation is uh, higher. And uh, and again, uh, just one last thing. Again, the um, funding under Horizon Europe to uh, promote um, alternative approaches to uh, contention inputs and also to plant protection products that contain uh, biological active substances. Uh, you probably know that, for instance, uh, the pesticide for for organic products, copper uh, has, uh, you know, several uh, uh, critical aspects too. So again, there's a need for innovation even in this this domain. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And the other news of this week is this uh, call uh, from a group of scientists, actually quite a big uh, number of scientists. We're talking about 269 European scientists and 21 association of health experts. So basically association of certain particular doctors dealing with uh, a very specific uh, uh, illness. So they basically did this um, call for making the uh, Nutri-Score. 
mandatory for um, the entire EU, which is basically, you know, it's, it's, it's a long-standing issue. The European Commission is expected to put forward the proposal for a harmonized food labeling scheme, and, and this will consider uh, nutritional aspects too, because at the moment, um, Certain nutrition declarations are mandatory on foodstuff in, uh, in the EU legislation, but further information concerning certain nutritional properties of food uh, can be displayed on the label, but on a voluntary basis. So the member states that want to adopt this, they have to communicate uh, to the commission and the commission um, has to, to find out if they're compatible with the EU framework and so on. Uh, for instance, uh, countries like France, Belgium and Germany, uh, when they adopted the Nutri-Score, uh, they asked the commission for um, the validation. And, you know, at that time, the, the EU executive assessed the, the, the Nutri-Score compliance with the EU legislation. So there's this uh, option that, you know, the, the commission is considering this idea to have a, a wide, complete nutritional labeling. So not, not only on certain aspects, they are expected to come up with uh, a proposal in the fourth quarter of 2022. But if it goes like the, the organic action 2022. plan. 2022, oh my goodness. <laughs> I feel like this saga is already never ending. I don't, I don't know, the Nutri-Score, Nutri-Score saga. Yeah, 2022 is tomorrow. Yeah, fourth quarter of 2022 is tomorrow. We're still in for another, at least another year of this debate. <laughs> yeah, indeed, because I mean, the, there will be the impact assessment, the stakeholder consultations so of before the, the 2022. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's a long journey. Don't worry, everyone, we will bring you all the updates. <laughs> I know you're worried. If you really want. And uh, yeah, you, you probably know that the issue is uh, mostly um, between countries in Southern Europe and countries in Northern Europe. Basically, mm. we can say like this, you know, that there are these uh, this, um, maps of Europe based on a certain aspects. And, and there's the map of the uh, countries that use oil, olive oil, uh, uh, yes. and countries that use butter. The big divide. That's the divide between the us as well, Gerardo. Indeed, indeed, indeed. It's also true that I, for, for instance, uh, Tash is, is very fond of uh, salt butter. Salted butter is... I think butter, salted yeah. butter is the only kind of butter. I'm just that's a bit. It's a yeah, bit yeah. And I, controversial statement. <laughs> I never tasted such thing, so I know that it exists. But you're a convert now, aren't you? Kind, Gerardo. I'm open to, uh, you know. You're open-minded. Yeah, <laughs> quite open-minded indeed. Yeah, so basically, the Nutri-Score divide is, is basically the same of oil, olive oil, butter divide because it's, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the um, the issues with Mediterranean countries uh, because uh, certain products of uh, the Mediterranean diet uh, are ranked quite uh, low in the Nutri-Score, starting from olive oil, which is basically E or D. Uh, for instance, the Spanish government is, at the beginning was pushing in favor of this Nutri-Score. They had the deal with the author of, of Nutri-Score and, and the olive oil was kind of exempted, let's say. Uh, but now a lot of um, food producers in Spain are really uh, up on arms. 
there was the declaration from the the producer of the Queso Manchego, the producer of Jamon uh, uh, Bellota. So, for instance, two Spanish MEPs uh, have uh, filed a parliamentary request into the commission asking uh, to basically protect the Jamon Bellota this famous uh, acorn-fed uh, Iberian ham, um, you know, uh, protect from the potential damage caused uh, by the Nutri-Score. So uh, we are moving to uh, that level of debate. So save olive oil, save uh, a specific uh, kind of food. Uh, and also, for instance, another MEP, this time Greek, uh, sent this other um, parliamentary question to the commission uh, asking if they're considering some form of compensation for the adversely affected Mediterranean food product. So only in February, we counted seven parliamentary questions only on the Nutri-Score coming from uh, Mediterranean uh, MEPs. So five Greeks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can see why, though, because olive oil is actually the basis of life in the Mediterranean. I mean, you know, you can see you can see the uproar. To be fair, also cheese. Yes, cheese are not performing quite well. Mm. For instance, mozzarella is one of the, um, the cheese that perform, uh, you know, quite good. And it's between C and D. Ah, yeah, sorry, uh, just for for your personal information. <laughs> the Nutri-Score is basically, uh, um, is converting the nutritional value of products into a code uh, consisting of five letters. So from A to E, and every letter has its own color. So A is green, uh, E is red. So it's really close to the traffic light system that was, uh, some member states, like Italy, opposed quite uh, firmly uh, in the last decade. I mean, we live in Belgium, and, and in Belgium, you know, it's, it's quite used. But yeah, maybe in some countries, not that uh, that common. So yeah, let's see the next developments. Again, the news is both the starting of um, you know this uh, letter, this this call from scientists, at the same time. The fact that uh, Mediterranean countries and, and Mediterranean policymakers are uh, are basically <laughs> up on arms and trying mm. to uh, oppose this uh, Nutri-Score. Uh, we spoke with the Italian MEP Paolo De Castro, and and he basically said that the next week uh, he's gonna meet the Italian minister together with other people uh, to organize the the Mediterranean Front. So the Mediterranean uprising against the Nutri-Score. Yeah. And that's all from us this week. Um, this week, the AgriFood podcast uh, was produced by your Actives AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foot, with the technical support of your Actives uh, podcast producer, Evi Chiori. And you can also um, listen to this podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, and Spotify. And be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the latest news from the EU on everything agriculture and food. I'm Natasha Foote. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.